is that, is that you doing the intro? Is that really it? No, that's not really Oh, it. like, fuck. <laughs> do you want no. to do the intro for me? Because I like the Manny's version. Play the, really? <laughs> no, it just sounded funny. It. Keep playing it. We're just going to put, like, an intro song in the, <laughs> before this. Whatever. All right. Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. <laughs> so... Welcome back to Golden Craft Cast, episode nine, I think. Yeah, sure. So, this is our shining episode, and with me is Bird and Manny. Yo, what's up? What's up? What's up? Didn't bring my guitar today. Yeah, so we're gonna put a cover intro on this bitch. Hopefully sorry for letting you guys down. No yeah. guitars today. Yeah, sorry. But oh, we did bring a, a ukulele. Look at the little hula girl moving too. Dude, I so, gotta say, yeah, I gotta say, I fucking hate ukuleles. I just hate them. So, Serge has been wet about this episode for like since we got the idea started for a podcast. He's been wanting to do the shining. I talk about, I talked about this in the first episode. So well, for the record, yeah, Serge back. is always wet, but I mean, but he's been extra wet. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> extra, extra moist. Wet. Yeah. Extra moist. I'm sorry for those who are sensitive to moist. He's like a little Betty Crocker cake, real moist. Moist. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so. Yeah, this episode uh, is The Shining. This is The Shining episode. Um, this movie came out in 1980s, of course. It's directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and... The little yeah, kid rum, that plays Danny. The little kid that plays Danny, who <laughs> apparently... Rum kid. Yeah, so apparently he didn't know, like, what movie... What type of movie he was in? I mean, after <laughs> probably like after years of the, after the fact, he probably knew like, oh, this is a horror movie. Whoa! But yeah, we're gonna really get into child this child abuse. Child yeah. abuse. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of abuse in this movie. There's so. Some weird things going yeah, on. Really in this weird movie. things, man. So this is this like is a, directed by Stanley Kubrick, but written by one of the greats, yeah. Stephen King. Even though it wasn't really to the T to what he wrote, but it was still Stephen King's idea. Yeah, it's very divisive movie when it comes down to it because you know you got half your fans that are like oh I don't like Kubrick's version and there's like oh there's Stephen King's version which I really like and they're all like oh but the movie really like you know it's very it became a very innovational yeah Yeah, very innovational very like cult classic movie and we're gonna really get into it so we're gonna start with our first beer so our first beer picked us up today this is called a it's from uh, Firestone Walker Brewery. It's called Flyjack. Of course, you know, Jack Torrance. And you got a hazy uh, IPA. All right, there's the connection. <laughs> yeah, so there's the connection. We got Flyjack. And it's pretty cool. It has that uh, Firestone Walker logo. You know, it has that uh, the bear, the little fighting bears. The only downside of it is the fucking only uh, 40% alcohol. I mean, 4.0% alcohol. Which, I think it's 5%. No, I'm looking at it. It says 4.0. Oh, I was looking. Oh, never mind. Five gram carbs. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's supposed to be. A the frosting got light in the beer, way. which I didn't know that. Yeah. Until I, you know, saw it. It's only like 90 calories or some shit okay, like that. Okay, I tried. Well, this. we got some IPAs with this for yeah. later, so we'll. I, uh, I feel like I'm drinking a fucking white claw. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking pussy. <laughs> Let's try it. I tried this beer before, and I'm not a fan of it. And I'm still not a fan of it. All right. Yeah. So it's, it's got like um. 
I can I can feel the haziness to yeah. it. I can feel this. You know, it doesn't have no bite. It's smooth. I can feel it's, it's not it's not complex though. I can feel how it's light. You know, it, mm-hmm. it goes down easy, but real yeah. easy. Like and not smooth easy. Easy like it's like watered down. Yeah, easy. like water. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like water. This is like the Bud Light of IPAs. <laughs> well, if you think about it, dude, like water is what like the main ingredient of beer. You yeah, know? but we're yeah. used to drinking like craft beers. You know, like brewery beers. <clears throat> right, but they never really taste that water. It's, down. It, you know what it kind of tastes like? Kind of reminds me of like a Coors Mountain Spring water. Like that's what I said. Like a Spring, Bud Light. Yeah. It's, it has that that kind of. I don't you know. know. It, it's not bad. It's what not was bad. the price? Um, I think it was like twelve bucks for the six pack. Not too bad. Yeah. You know, I, I gave it a shot because Firestone makes one of my favorite beers at the moment, which of course you guys know the Mine Haze. Yeah. It's like my go-to. I fucking love that. Really Mine like Haze that. or or the Goose. That's like what I usually stick with. But well, this one's pretty good, man. It's crispy. It's there's no real kick to it though. Yeah, it doesn't have you that know? snap though. Not, yeah. There's no snap to it. That's why I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. Plus, there's like three points that it's making. It's like it's citrusy, hazy, and crisp. I don't taste the, cri- uh, the citrus. It's a little. I can. It's, it's a like, little bit there. Well, you know, a lot I of a lot of beers, like they, like, you know, when they say like, oh, like it tastes this way. When they do taste them and they make them, they drink them room temp. Yeah. So I guess it it, it it's more for your taste buds, and they knew the whole the little <laughs> little gargling and that whole flavor. So they I don't know. Really I just felt like there's nothing there for me, like when I'm tasting it. There's like a little right at the end of the hops. There's a little zesty. I taste a little bit of the haze. Right after the haze, it's zest. It's like lemon zest or some shit. Not getting it. I. It tastes more of the hazy. I do get that. Like, it's very like if they shave the lemon Mm -hmm. whole barrel, it's kind of got a little little in it. Like lemon zest or something. Yeah, it's a hint of it. You know, you could kind of get it. But again, it's not bad. I don't mind it. You know, it's it's, cool. Easy drinker, easy sip. You know what I I think it is as well? I I think we've all. It is crisp, though. Yeah, but I think we've been spoiled because we drink like craft beer and we drink like. I mean, that's the point of the show. Yeah, but all we do is drink like good and expensive beer. Yeah, if anything, we drink heavier stuff in this. Right. And then when we drink like nowadays, now when I sometimes I'll drink like a PBR or Modelo. Like just like I'm an off day. Like I feel like I don't get the flavor no more because I'm, I'm my like my palate and my taste buds have gone so like refined. But if I start the day with drinking something like that, mm-hmm. it's easy going. Yeah. But if I drink like one craft beer, then I go back to anything else. It's like it all tastes like yeah. shit to me. Yeah, that's why I start off with the PBR and then keep going with the more you know. And then that could, that kind of like clears your palate because it's like okay, this is light crispy. You already know what you expect with the PBR. And then once you taste something else, it's like okay, you could really see the difference in notes and all that shit. Yeah. Good. Good sipper, dude. Good yeah, choice. Yeah, you know, and then again, it's like Fly Jack, you know, yeah, Jack Torrance. Yeah. I thought it would be perfect for this episode. It of looks the like the colors cold. of it are cold, like the movie, you know. Right, yeah, right. It's very it's cold tone. It's, it's like, a, it has like that Bud Light blue to it, and it has Fly Jack on there with yellow letters. I think they're trying to make a point right there. So right. Like, this is the closest thing to a Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're, saying, you're drinking a Bud Light, bitch? They're basically drinking a Bud Light with extra stuff. Yeah, yeah but for $12? But thanks, thanks, for the extra, thanks for the extra $6 you gave us. Making money right with that. All well, right, shit, so let's man. go. Let's just fucking let's kick, kick it this off. off. All right, let's kick this off. Pretty much, this is gonna be like our last episode. Right, so let's kick this off then. Let's uh, let's start this. Yeah. So first question, when it comes down to it, it's like, uh, was the first time watching this movie? Do you guys remember, or are you just like, man, I, I don't, I don't life? remember the first time precisely. Yeah. Like I've mentioned before in a podcast a couple of times, I grew up watching like sci-fi and horror. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, it was just kind of in there. Uh, I don't know. It might have been 10, 12 years old when it, you came around it. You know, Stanley yeah. Kubrick movies. I've been a fan of his like Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jack, whatever. Eyes Wide Shut. Eh. Space Odyssey, eh? But you know, I was a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, Clockwork Orange definitely. But uh, (laughs) I I think when I I saw this, maybe like um, I definitely had to be in like. 
elementary, starting middle school age, whatever, nine hmm. to 12, somewhere around there. And I was a teen, and I remember being creeped out by some scenes in the movie, yeah. which we'll get into the scenes, but somewhere around there, and I saw it as a kid. I actually saw the movie... Um, Last week. After high school. <laughs> I, I got a I got a MacBook and I found a website and uh, I, just, I, I think I ripped the torrent or I don't know something like that but I, I watched it because I growing up I didn't I wasn't exposed to a lot of horror you know my parents were really like closed off about that stuff they barely even let us watch Jurassic Park <laughs> you know what I'm saying so I, I think that at, at that point I was really interested and I always liked classic horror I always liked the like the Wolfman is my favorite character you know so um, this for me was probably one of the first like really psychological horror movies that uh i i watched and was i mean it's it's a pivotal movie it's it's a cult classic like you said before and i know people have talked about it they'd asked me if i watched it i haven't watched it you know and i took a film class in high school and i still hadn't watched it so after high school i was like dude i need to watch these movies i need to sit down and like pull all the movies up all these horror classic horror movies so i watched chucky i watched you know chainsaw massacre i watched uh Friday the 13th I watched all of the classics and this was one of the ones that was in the group that I watched it in and it really was a lot different I mean than all those other movies because all those other movies were were in the 80s too yeah right. well original storyline slasher slasher movies and stuff like this but this was a take on a movie where it was a psychological take but it also involved ghosts and it was it looked like a lot of fucking work like they had a budget for this movie yeah and in the in the early 80s, man, that kind of budget really was over the top. Unless you were filming Star Wars or some shit like that, you didn't really have that kind yeah, of Yeah, you know, I mean, you movies. said you said at one point that, how many times did they shoot that blood scene? Uh, that was three three times they did that blood takes. scene. And it took them like a couple weeks just to redo it again, but it's just the blood, the cleaning, the setting up again. That's and, money, that's you know, people cleaning yeah, it, that's just, people setting up the blood, you know what I'm saying? And just so, the time, the time, yeah. the whole effort it took, you know, with a lot of the scenes. Some took, some, mm-hmm. some, some of the scenes in this movie actually broke the Guinness Book of Records. Was it 127 yeah. times or whatnot? Yeah, 127 times. Which I'm really surprised. Like, I actually learned this, like, a couple months ago. Like, it only took three takes to, like, get that shot. Because, like, knowing Kubrick, he takes, like, a lot of shots. He's very meticulous and directed that just, like, wants to get the right shot, you know? And to be able to say, like, oh, it's only three, it's like, oh, it's a good thing it was Well, only maybe because of the budget, he only did three, yeah. you know? Because, I mean, they probably were like, hey, look. He was probably pushing for another all, one. All, all these fucking... He was probably pushing for, like, 30. So, like, yeah, all these fucking three. 300 gallons of fake blood or whatnot. It's fucking it's like, expensive. Dude, think about it. Really. It's going to take a lot of time. It's all like, all right. Yeah, how many how many, <laughs> yeah. hey, how many crews did they have there with fucking mop buckets getting all the blood up? Like, <laughs> Dude, all right, guys. Insane. Imagine do it again. them cleaning up afterwards. That's a, this like, was in right. the 80s. They didn't have like big shop packs like we do now. That's a whole you know? fucking department and shit. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I mean, for him to just pack up and be like, all right, we'll see you guys next week. Fuck. He's kidding, right? Have yeah, a good time is. cleaning up, you schmucks. Yeah, for real. <laughs> what about you, Serge? What was the first time you watched it? Honestly, I kind of vaguely remembered, but I'm pretty sure it's like. Um, Cause around like after high school, I started watching like a lot of movies. Like I, I was like really like discovering like a lot of tours like Tarantino, Scorsese, and now of course Kubrick. And I guess I must have watched one of those online movies where you know free movies. And yeah, I must have watched one of those. And I was just watching. I was like, oh, like that was just like a completely different movie from what I saw. It was just like different from a slasher film, you know. 
Because if it's unorthodox and it didn't go against like a structure of a traditional slasher movie or anything like or that. Or a horror know? movie. Or exactly. a horror movie, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it definitely wasn't kosher. It was his yeah. own, like, you said, it was psychological, it was a yeah. mindfuck. Yeah, it was a real mindfuck. The one thing that I really liked about this movie is just very a- atmospheric. And that's one of my favorite things that I look into a movie. Like, I like a movie that's very atmospheric and it's just yeah. very, like, you know, it has you its, feel own into its own thing. energy, yeah. like, yeah. that it's trying to output to everybody. It has its own freaking aura. By the end of the yeah. movie, you just feel completely different from when you began. It's just like, it feels like a journey. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's so like, like one of those things. It took like, so much oh, of, like, dude. Stephen King, like, it was, like, very, like, HP Love crafty and it took a lot from everything and it really yeah. mixed all that in and it just gave you mm-hmm. like they didn't have to be like a scary movie that I do now or horror yeah. where it's like loud noises and monsters it yeah. just made Pop some out, scenes yeah. where it just kind of just really fucked with your head yeah like, it was its own thing I mean it's Barry Kubrick you know right like, yeah, that's how he became the man he is like he became or he was own, the man he was he been, yeah he was his own odd genre R.I.P. Hemi mm-hmm. R.I.P. 1999 cheers, uh, cheers guys to Kubrick cheers, cheers to Kubrick giving us some right. uh, great cinema let's uh kick off the story man yeah, why don't man. you uh, do a little synopsis search so you know the whole story about this is um, he was an alcoholic that um, alcoholic also, writer yeah he, an alcoholic writer he was an English teacher on the side mm-hmm. but he was a writer and he um, looked up this job and I guess he has to be like a caretaker of this whole hotel for like a couple, for a whole year. Was it a year? I thought it was the winter season. It was the winter, winter. It was the winter season. Right? Yeah, the winter season of the Overlook right. Hotel. I don't know why it was like a whole year. I, it's a mindfuck. Because it, it, no, it, 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 it took them a year to film. It took them a year and three months yeah. or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah they, they did it. say okay. Yeah, so they just said like months, they yeah. brought yeah they brought in like um, they talked to me into it and saying like oh just pretty much like uh, take care of throughout this whole winter, and the hotel has like a whole rich history it's been built like in 1907 or something right and really rebuilt in 1909 well completely built in the 19 like two years after the fact and he has to take care of the place and just watch eventually just, just maintain it yeah well. eventually they all have to stay there for like months and months and he's pretty much his whole goal is to like as a writer to be isolated and, and this is in Colorado a, so the winters a, yeah, find are a, pretty harsh yeah find a place to like find a space to like write but you know all these weird things started to happen you know spiritual things um, they all go mad together and you know I'm not gonna spoil well we're gonna spoil a lot of well, things we're gonna talk about we're it, gonna go into the story he pretty much had I to like it, I think it's safe to say hotel. I think it's safe to say at this point we're basically gonna really be digging deep so if you yeah. haven't seen The Shining you might want to pause right here and come back because we're really going to dig a lot deeper into this yeah. just to four one. so that's just the, yeah so that's just the brief of it but we're really getting go into the depths of but he, he goes is, to yeah. the Overlook Hotel he's watching he's taking care of the Overlook Hotel yeah. for the winter season with his wife and his son you know so he's supposed to be and he figures oh this is a good job to take because during this whole time I'm working mm-hmm. I gotta be at the hotel I could take my time to be writing yeah. and so the thing that yeah the thing that drew into him is like oh as a writer I need my space I need isolation. This is perfect. Perfect, right? I'm you in know? the middle of nowhere. And my wife could help me like operate the whole like the whole hotel. Which they didn't even have to operate. They just had to just be there, you know. Just well, they had to operate like the boilers, and then they had to heat up the right. Whole just, so, so the pipes don't burst in the freezer, or whatever. Yeah. So, but it was pretty much just just be here, just do the little basic tasks. Yeah. They have a whole kitchen full of food. You have all the amenities. Just chill here. <laughs> and he thought it was like, oh, this is great. This is three, four months of free rent. I get to write. My kid has room to play. My wife could do whatever the fuck she does. Yeah. It's perfect. 
Yeah, they were even thinking about that at the start because they say like, oh, like is that gonna, are we really gonna go to the hotel for like a couple months? It's like, yeah, it's gonna be really fun. And then it goes back into the shop where it's like, they're talking, they're briefly talking about like, oh, this is gonna be the situation, the hotel, you're gonna take care of this whole place like during the winter season. And you, you we're not gonna, we're gonna be left out, you know? Right, he's the caretaker. And just like, we're gonna be the caretaker. You're gonna be in charge of everything that happens. But also we gotta tell you like all this, um, Bad shit happened before, because the former caretaker he went mad and he killed his entire family and his wife he, and his two daughters and then committed suicide, putting right. like to uh, put a shotgun to his mouth and then you know blew himself, and blew his brains out, which is a pretty dark thing. And if someone tells you that shit, I'm like red flag. Um, I don't know about this shit. You know, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> but, you know? but that also played into the character that uh, yeah. Jack Torrance was. He was like, oh well, well, well that's, that's still cool. I can still do this job. I'm yeah. not gonna kill myself. Yeah, you're like dun, 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 you think. You're, you think you're a good guy. It's like, yeah, nothing, nothing like that's gonna ever happen to me. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah I got this. It's easy. Well, you underestimated, going you know, into the hotel and. Yeah. Like we were saying earlier, the hotel in itself is its own character, you know? So right. that story, I mean, the story, obviously, it centers around the hotel and the character of the hotel and how the hotel changes the people that are inside of it and how it affects their minds and basically just toys with their whole... Um, their psyche, I, with their, their mind. Psyche. Yeah. It just fucks with their whole psyche. And, you know, over the months that they're living there, you, sle- you see them slow descent into madness and now you see they yeah. made a lot of like horror stuff afterward where the house is alive and it's like get out get out you know get taunted whatever yeah this is like the first version of that but it wasn't so much like saying that yeah. it was just kind of eerie on yeah, its own actually they kind of were saying it but visually they were saying right. it because this time around when I watched it he's going um because the first time like the family like his wife and then Danny was there uh they were walking with the uh what's his name the guy yeah. who tells them about the Indian burial ground no, no, no. He's the the guy that calls him Doc, the black guy. Oh, um, oh, I, remember, I forgot his name. What are we talking about, though? Yeah. We need to look this up. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the staff there, they uh, walk around and... He gives them a tour they, of the place. He gives them a little bit of a tour, tell them where the food is at, and they go into the kitchen and stuff and gives them brief. And as before... Uh, before they do that, they go through like exit signs. I couldn't like this time around. I saw it like very like very carefully, meticulously, and try to see like oh what was Kubrick trying to say about this movie. Mm-hmm. And you see, literally, it says two exit signs uh, that they entered, and I said like oh like exit exit, and I'm just like oh, that's that's crazy. And ironically enough, it's like they show little like, hints, little fucking clues. They give you little clues, especially during the tour, where it says like okay, this is where our radio is at, you know. Exit strategy, right. like you right. could always call for emergencies, and also the uh, snowmobile, which is like outside. It's like, are you right. guys supposed to drive cars? It's like it's almost like driving a car. You get a hint. But you imagine being in a situation yeah. back then with no Wi-Fi or nothing like that. Like how, yeah. Yeah. how we're in modern times, where if they told us now, hey, you got to stay here for three months, but there's food, and there's Wi-Fi. You're like, oh hell yeah, I can just watch movies, play oh, games, just game the whole time. Yeah, just game the whole. I'll be in the war zone all day. <laughs> I'll be in the gulag. I hear, I hear ghosts. Nah, yeah. bro, I'm in the gulag. I hear right the gulag now. though. You know. <laughs> You know, but imagine back then there was no Wi-Fi, no it was a type nothing. Letter. You know, you couldn't even take plug in your phone, and listen to Spotify or nothing. You couldn't listen to music. And yeah, this is bumping 1980s. your tunes. <laughs> now I just fucking play a playlist. Here's some podcasts. Throw you'd some have to bring records with you. Yeah. You know, you'd have to bring stuff with you. Um, the name of that character is Halloran. Oh yeah, Halloran. Halloran. 
Holla. Holla ran. So, um, so basically, there's also like a because every character between like Jack and Wendy and Danny, they all have like their own experience, like what they see in the hotel, you know. Especially with with Danny, because like the whole central idea of like he has the Shining, which is like a very ability. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! The Shining is actually an ability where it's um, it's a telepathic ability. He could foresee the future or kind of tap into the past a little bit. Yeah, he could foresee those like premonitions, and also he could like talk to another person or read their thoughts of another person who doesn't have the Shining, you know. And basically, um, that character like explains to Danny like, "Hey, you have the Shining." He's like, "What are you talking about?" And he explains what the Shining is. Like, I, you know, I used to have like full conversations with me and my grandma because we both have the Shining. Yeah, him and his grandmother used to communicate they through the Shining. Yeah, and yeah. they never had to open their. Um, they didn't open their mouths or communicate nothing. They just yeah look at each other and just have that whole telepathy with each other. Yeah, so it's a special the ability that they had, and Danny could actually like. Um, That's what I felt like when I was on acid. Right. Really? <laughs> I'm not even joking, bro. That's just weird. Let's see if let's see if it works. Hold on, let's see. Let me try to. Oh damn it! I was trying to ask you for a beer, but I guess it didn't work. <laughs> I got that, bro. Yeah. I got that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a so, pretty cool game. So game. yeah, this, that's the the name of the movie, The Shining. You the know, Shining. So that's it's the idea that you know they it's have telepathy, telepathy and that you could tap into past, present, future kind of deal. Yeah, which is very. He's like the original movie. fucking Professor Xavier, even though Professor Xavier was already out, but still. Yeah, yeah but still, you know, but yeah, you know, uh, but. But even though we just focus on on his dad, who's like a struggling alcoholic, that's like you know. Aren't we all? Yeah, <laughs> aren't we all during these days? Yeah, but you know, he's, he's trying writer. to get sober, and you know, he's a writer. He's just very much struggling, and you put you put him in a situation where he thinks it's going to be good for him, but it's really right. not. Which pretty much is the true story of Stephen King, because he was an alcoholic. Yeah. He had to go to therapy, and he was a writer as well. And then it took him a while to sober up. He had to go to rehab. Yeah, kind of. Re- he had to do like the whole 12 step and he was just a bad drunk so that's why a lot of his characters and a lot of yeah, stories so, are yeah some of his characters are like struggling alcoholics like trying to be sober and you know like alcoholism is like a it's a strong symbolism it's a strong like a story element that the, he puts into his stories like this one you know we don't condone being an alcoholic we do not condone drink responsibly <laughs> responsibly all the time alright right. <laughs> Or else it turned like Jack. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. We don't condone drinking and driving. So, I mean, that's basically it. Do you guys want to talk a little, a little bit about the characters individually? Um, yeah, we could, we got a little bit into it. Yeah, so, we, yeah. we could talk we'll about the characters. So, I mean, specifically, uh, Jack, writer, alcoholic, son of Jack, Danny, <laughs> has the shining talks to his finger hello red rum stuff like that he talks to Tony Tony's he like his to uh, Tony. Tony is like his um, Tony's basically like it's his made up friend it's like, yeah, it's like his I special didn't. friend you know he talks to him but he uses his finger and he kind of talks makes little hand yeah. puppets with his finger and he talks to Tony it was kind of yeah. hard to understand like, what, what Tony was but this time around I was like oh he's basically the standing of like the shining I, I was say I felt like Tony you know? was like the shiny he was yeah. the shiny he was, talk, he was you know, standing because remember he, Danny yeah. was a child so he didn't really know what the shining was so he didn't he had no concept of it yeah. so he felt something or someone talking to him and he labeled him Tony and he was like I'm talking to Tony but then I guess as you get older with like the, the guy uh, hollering he was like yeah it's The Shining this is how me holiday well, imagine what, what the movie would have been like if they named the movie Tony right <laughs> instead of The Shining they you call know? him The Tony The Tony The Tony <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to the Tony yeah no, but... and the fucking character's fucking Tony Soprano give me some fucking gabagool yeah but I think uh, another important character in this um, was the former 
caretaker. Yeah. Right? Because there's instances where he meets with Jack. Jack's with him. He's, like, literally like a ghost. Yeah. And he's basically talking to him. And well, they meet in the bathroom. Yeah, he figures which out. Which looks like fucking Target. It's it's red and white. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Target restroom. It's all red and white. Yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah, I wanted to talk about, like, the... Gold, uh, the gold group scene because that really emphasizes like the his character arc you know right and it really goes in there it really goes deep because like this is his second time going into the bar area and once he leaves he gets uh, he gets bumped into like one of the waiters and he he, he gets his um, drink spilled on you know and he goes he goes to the bathroom and then they have the whole talk and he recognizes like hey he used to be like the, the old caretaker. caretaker you know and at this point, like, you can interpret this like... Like, foresh- it's foreshadowing like, in the movie. It's Yeah, it's sort of like foreshadowing, but it's also like they mentioned it before in the movie. And at this part... Well, I think it is foreshadowing. Much, like, yeah, pretty much they interpret, they interpret it like, oh, he's seeing a ghost, you know? Like, this is well, one I, of I, I didn't think it more to seeing a ghost, but the conversation to have where he goes, oh, you're the caretaker. Yeah. The guy tells him, no, you're the caretaker. Because he was telling him about, oh, you're the one that but killed your talking, wife and Yeah, kids. because he's talking to him about, like, as he's a spirit. Like, how could he be talking about it? Because he's fuck, he's dead. And he recognizes him. He said, like, you're the guy that, you're the caretaker. You're the one that, like, um, killed your wife and killed kids. his wife and kids and put a shotgun, like, up your mouth and then you you know, blew your fucking brains out. And, and then he's like, no, you're the caretaker. Yeah. So it kind of so, kind of foreshadows how he will kill his family. You know, that's why I think yeah. it's got a little bit of foreshadowing. But it's like a psyche, like there's a duality coming in between them. It's like, oh, you know, you're the one that's holding the torch and you're going to grab the torch from me. And <laughs> as a caretaker, you're going to be like, you it's your destiny to like go mad and you know having to kill your family. You well, know? also You're the mean, next one that's gonna do it. It takes place in like uh, in in Colorado. Yeah. So the winters there can be pretty brutal, you know. And this was yeah. in the '80s before they had a lot of the technology we have now for heating. So yeah, I could exactly. see how people can kind of get like that cabin fever, being cooped up for three yeah, months. Yeah, that was the reasoning why that uh, former caretaker killed himself because they say like, oh, it's cabin fever. Yeah. Like the old timers say, like it's cabin fever. They've they been cooped up fever. for so long, you start fucking losing your losing your mind and start talking. Yeah, exactly. And Talks not even talking to yourself, but also like hallucinating, being, hallucinating, and just like um, being like distant from your family and becoming a different person all entirely. See, but that's that's the cool part is because like that character of the hotel is the one that's like basically sucking people into its kind of web, yeah. like in its net, and just turning them into people that they're not. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, he's like, well, if I killed myself, you're going with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna turn you into myself. And yeah. I mean, like. It, there's a reason why it became like a job like a job that was like out there you know so you feel like, like everybody that became caretaker after that kind of went through that during same process? the winter they went through that process and like oh something's up with like this hotel every winter someone happens to like kill themselves and stuff and mm-hmm. say like we're gonna get our asses out of this fucking hotel and have someone like caretake the hotel and you know how to deal with that bullshit well if you if you think about it like a lot of paranormal activity you know will happen in in hotels in older places places, saloons, old saloons, you know, stuff like that. But there's usually more activity when there's less people around. Yeah. Right. The spirits get to roam free. Yeah. To- so the spirits kind of have, well, there's there's less noise. Well, as well, the they, way, they did mention know? in the movie where the, he was getting the tour. One of the guys mentioned to him that that was an Indian burial ground. Yeah. So it's that's so that already kind of gives a little little craziness to it because already right, supposed to be like a haunted area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then well with with that and then the person killing his family and then being kind of uh, 
uh, in seclusion for three, four months. It has the whole factor and, you know, there's yeah. a lot going on there. Yeah, it has a lot of, like, uh, I don't want to say rich history, but a lot of eerie history into it. And Well, that hotel originally selfish. where they shot the over, the, they call it the overlook of the movie. Yeah. I forgot the name of it originally. That hotel actually is supposed to be, has a lot of paranormal activity. They had ghost hunters there. They had, um... Oh, really? Main, yeah, like yeah. in real life? The real hotel. Yeah, in real life. The real hotel. They had a lot of, uh, I think it's called like the Arrow or something like that. Oh, we're watching. They've had a lot of, um, uh, paranormal activity. I think that's why they use that. Mm -hmm. The location, it has a history of being kind of haunted. They had paranormal activity that, um, those guys would come in and do it with the the Geiger meters and everything and check it out. They said there's been a lot of stuff, a lot of, um, irregularities going on in there. I mean, just that scene of the opening going into the Overlook Hotel, you see basically a huge hall of just couches and like, you see the light coming from the window and the snow outside and you know like that just makes it it makes you feel like it's empty like it's big it's, big, it's empty huge empty space right and he's the only one there and it's gonna be him and his family that are gonna be the only ones in charge of this giant you know basically a mansion yeah you know but the thing is is a hotel has so many people going through passing through it that all those spirits the ones that did die there or did do weird stuff there their spirits are captured and now you only in have three hotel. people in that whole giant place that normally yeah. probably yeah. caters to you know hundreds of people at a time <laughs> yeah I mean another all... thing though we, I think okay. we didn't give credit to is um, when you think of horror movies right a lot of horror movies have like that um, theme or that scary song I don't mm-hmm. think people give enough credit to The Shining's little intro because that thing's really creepy as fuck it is creepy oh yeah it you is you know the, like the organs is they're very unusual doom. notes yeah and, and very then, uh, recognizable but you, if you think of like Halloween laws movies they're really like catchy yeah. they have a catchy sound but this dun, one is dun, dun, dun. right this one is really like it's so slow it, it's not really horror but because the way the movie is shaped around being eerie yeah. and slow it gives you like chills like ooh, ooh, ooh. that's yeah. why the music does Very a really suspense. good job of building setting up the tones that abyss right. you know building that whole area of remote that feeling of remote being remote being away from civilization isolated. being isolated being alone in this giant fucking you know basically a death trap yeah basically you know so like all in, in the installation and all of it like there's definitely like a lot of spirits going down and with Danny having the shining he's able to like see dead people and that's pretty much confirmed like he could actually yeah he could see he has premonitions he's able to see beyond like what everyone can see and you can interpret as Jack like you know he hasn't had a drop of like alcohol in like five months his withdrawals are getting and to his him his withdrawals are getting to him and you could interpret it like he's hallucinating but there's also like connection like I'm not sure if this is a solid connection but the when he was talking about the caretakers he did say he had two daughters and Danny did see like two young girls two like twins right you know? so I'm not sure I mean, if it's the like their daughters you so know? that scene with the two girls yeah and I think because I, I grew up with older siblings yeah so like I told you guys before I, I grew up watching horror and sci-fi and stuff as a kid I think that scene with the two girls honestly was some of the eeriest scene I've seen as a child yeah because most stuff you see like the slashers and you hear the noise and ah you know that one and also maybe like Halloween 4 when he's in the ambulance and he sticks his thumb to the guy's skull and I was oh, like whoa right. that's fucking creepy but as a kid just seeing those two twin girls like I think that's the whole mind fuck they didn't have to do anything just stand at that long yeah. hallway you imagine if you're coming to a hotel or walking down this long corridor 
door, and you just see these two twin girls just standing down there, yeah. just standing. They don't even have to say, besides them, play with me forever and ever. Just them standing there, like it's just yeah. like, well, what Not the fuck? That, yeah, that's just creepy. That well, you yeah. got to get chills also, thinking of that. That's like right. so. It's also, yeah, it's also weird too to uh, to say because like they're not even identical twins they're a little off you could actually see like some of the differences between them mm-hmm. like, well, who the fuck really like noticing that I see two like, little girls I mean obviously no, standing like, in the hallway little, yeah that's no it's like that's the fact that's a little eerie it's I just, mean like, they're a little off they're not even identical twins they're just like you know yeah to me I think what really made that part creepy was the whole build up you know, it's yeah. him riding his little tricycle, little big wheel. the big wheel through the hallway, ass and, the hotel. But, he's, but he's making, he's turning corners and the camera is following him right. and it's one single shot. Right. So it's like, okay, all of a sudden you're riding with Danny. You're he's like riding, Bobby's world, riding yeah, a little, yeah. he's, just he's riding ass. through, he's riding through, you know, you're following him, you're following him. Okay, we're playing around, we're playing, Dan- uh, all of a sudden... Camera stops. Camera still. That right. You see two little girls in the hallway. At a in distance. His it's mind, like a good distance. distance. Yeah. There's no. There's no more playtime. I see two little freaky girls in the hallway. But there's also nowhere else to go because it's yeah. like the end of mm-hmm. the hallway there. That's the end of the road. That's right. where he was. That's maybe the shining was telling him to turn. Turn. Don't go down there. Or yeah. Or to go specifically right there. Right yeah. there. Just that, that, that was see crazy. Those girls. And then yeah. they tell him, Danny, come play with us. Yeah. Forever. Endeavor. And he's like, what? He said that at one point. Like, yeah, oh, but hell he said no. Yeah. Turn that big wheel That's around and start pulling. But then it makes you think like, yeah. it makes him think like, okay, if Danny would have died or if the dad would have killed him like the, their parents did, he'd have been added to a list of those kids that, hey, come play with us forever. Because since they're dead and their spirits, they're there forever. It connects with him. Yeah, they wanted Danny to die yeah. so Danny could join them to it's, play with them. Yeah, it's just funny to say just making Manny making a point that it was a buildup. This time around, I was just waiting for that scene to happen and it takes, actually it takes a while to uh, do that. There's actually like a scene before where he's like riding through the tricycle mm-hmm. and we're following him but it's like at every corner you expect him to be there and like to pop waiting, out. Waiting, waiting, but not also that where he's going down the hallway. You also, they also do that like when they first go through like the maze too mm-hmm. and then the second time he's going like through the hallways that's when it happens it's a, and you know those those shots are very like, effective because like at every corner you think like they're gonna be there or something's mm-hmm. gonna happen well I mean that's Kubrick's effect it's on just like, him trying to mind fuck the audience right? exactly you know and having them expect you know yeah. them be around the corner or something be around the corner and yeah. that's where I think he, he did it right because you're expecting it you're expecting it and because you don't see them that almost frightens you you know it's also like a little bit eerie because the girls they're not moving at all they're still mm-hmm. and they're just saying mm-hmm. come play with us like they have no toys they don't look like they're having fun they don't look like you know a kid nowadays you see like yeah. hey come play with us well at that point what do you have like a Nintendo Switch right. you got an Xbox you got something <laughs> to play with like you got no toys no I'm cool I don't want to play with you you got a they're ball just there. yeah you got no balls you got a frisbee like you got nothing yeah. no dogs but they're just they're just standing there just standing there in the corner that could be not a moving just there <laughs> Like come play with us. Like play with what? I'm yeah. cool. Fuck y'all. I'm that's scary. Yeah. I mean, also with the fact like we like you see him like standing there, but the next shot is them dead. Like yeah. he flashes into a quick shot where it's like they're they're like laying dead and they they look like they had just been slain by something. That was the dad that slain that him, right? That but then him. Danny's still not believing what he's seeing. He starts rubbing his eyes like hold up. Yeah, I'm, I'm he fucking he tripping. Eyes, but he closes and like full on like I don't want to see this anymore. Like but then he kind of rubs his eyes like in disbelief. Like yeah. hold on, I'm, yeah. I'm making this up. This is not real. At first. And then yeah. he full on closes his eyes. He's like, Tony, stop doing this shit to me. Yeah, fucking yeah. Tony. Fucking Tony. So, I mean, but that that's the, a lot of instances of where 
he's trying to make the audience mad is when the um, characters are running through the hallways of the hotel. You know, we didn't even talk to about the Wendy character. So, I mean, Wendy, Wendy's character is basically written in a way where she is helpless almost. She's trying to fend off Jack and Stephen King apparently wrote her a lot differently in the book. I haven't read the book, but he doesn't write her as misogynistic like a cowering yeah. woman. He writes her as well, someone that's actually has like a stronger misogynistic. He's like, I didn't make her that weak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and she's portrayed weak. And, you know, the crazy part is, is Stanley Kubrick actually did a lot of mental strain and mental trauma to, uh, her. Trauma to her during the film um, when she was filming there. I mean, she she literally said in, in a interview with Roger Ebert that she was crying for 12 hours. And then afterwards, she would cry longer just because of how long and how stressful, you know, the day was to her. She's and like then on 12 top of hours that, a day, right? Crying? And then on top of that, you know, Kubrick was giving a little bit more respect towards Jack Nicholson and just him as a celebrity versus yeah. Shelley Duvall. He was kind of always made like... Uh, You're olive oil and Popeye. You ain't nobody. Yeah. She, he was trying... He was basically <laughs> was trying to... Popeye or after Popeye? No, he, was, after. he wasn't giving her the respect that she deserved. Right. And I mean... What's second that? As, a, as an actress, you know, that's going to mess with your psyche. He was constantly saying that, like she was doing it bad. They had to redo the scene 127 times, like we were mentioning earlier. Well, she swung the bat. She sat, she, when she was swinging the bat at Jack? When she was swinging the bat. She that, swung that's the bat. Guinness Book she, World yeah, Records. She swung the bat 42 times for the scene, right? Yeah. So if they did that 127 times times 42, she swung that fucking bat 5,337 times. Fucking A. <laughs> Dude, that's insane. Yeah. But it, then, it seems very routine the way that she was swinging the bat. Like, like this time around, it was just like she was keep on going, and then she's really into the scene. Well, another thing about Shelley Duvall as well, like, she was so like uh, depressed and so she had so much trauma going on with yeah. the whole shooting. She it got a point where she couldn't cry no more. She was dehydrated. She couldn't cry no more. Where she actually had to keep water bottles with her for the scenes where she was crying. Mm-hmm. She had to make herself cry and hydrate herself to be able to cry. That's fucking That's crazy. how much she cried. And you were telling us a story about how she even became a little little loopy after the whole the movie. How her life's kind of went. Yeah. To I mean, uh, just her after filming, you know, it just put so much trauma on her. And after the movie was over, you know, it gave her even more trauma because they say they, they gave most of the praise to Kubrick. And, and she Nicholson. kind of felt like she wasn't Nelson involved Kubrick. at all, yeah. you know, like and after being through so much mental strain, you think you, your name would be somewhere. Yeah, because it wasn't know? The Shining. It was Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Right. Yeah, it was his or, version of The Shining. Or not with starring, you know, yeah, Shelley Duvall, she, Jack Nicholson, obviously, you know. But that really took her overboard. They, they didn't... Uh, she was on Dr. Phil. Like, she really, like, spiraled downhill yeah. after that because of, you know, all the mental trauma she withstood because of that movie. She said that was literally the most difficult movie she would have... she ever made, yeah. you know? So, I mean, that being said, that is put on screen that is the reason it's a cult classic is because she literally put herself to her wits he end he documented all that you know yeah it, it's and become, he documented yeah it's become a monument of a movie because all the stories that you hear from it you know I mean like in Kubrick Kubrick like just hearing of some of the things that he did on the side Stephen King how he basically like bought his his story remade it his own and didn't stick to what he Stephen King originally wanted he a big fuck wanted. you to Stephen he's, King he's right? giving a big fuck you to, to him yeah big fuck you to Shelley Duvall for not being 
getting the kind of actor that he wanted. So he literally said, oh, you're not acting the way I want you to act? Okay, let me me like drive you insane right. to the point until you are acting the let way I want you to act. Let me belittle you and put you down so you can cry for real. Yeah, I yeah. mean, what? I mean, what that's mental abuse. And right. I mean, nowadays, that would never happen. Well, not, they, oh, no, now they got HRs and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, they so I mean, they got, you know. they, they, he really got away with a lot. Yeah, and, really and that's why this movie, and you were saying earlier with the, even with the uh, trailer for it. Right. That oh, even with the trailer, like, uh, so the whole Academy Awards, they never allowed any kind of, like, blood or anything on the trailers because... I think it, it was, like, the motion picture, like, association or something. Where, where, the, where were the fucks who does that? But You see the name around, you see the MPAA, like, on every trailer? They're the guys that, are like, certify, like, oh, this is what we're allowed to show you on the trailers and stuff. Yeah, but they, they've never been allowed to show blood or things like yeah. that of violence. Just, yeah. Because, you know, just because of, you know, censorship or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the whole, the trailer for this movie had the scene of the elevators opening and, you know, those hundred gallons of, or thousands of gallons of blood, quote-unquote, coming out of the elevator. And so they were like, no, no, you can't do that because it's blood. And he convinced them, saying, oh, no, no, it's not blood. It's uh, it's rusty water. It's pipe bursting. And they, didn't, I guess they didn't watch the whole film because it wasn't out or whatever. They're like, oh, okay, fine, then we'll allow it. But it really was blood. So he manipulated them into allowing him to do that, you know? And, and that just kind of shows you his man. character of himself, like him as a person, how shady was just to kind of get his way because he was so specific about But, but you imagine if he actually did, because, you know, Stephen King is the, the godfather. He is literally the man who writes horror. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't get better than Stephen King for horror, you know? Yeah. Do you imagine if he would? Because he did everything Stephen King didn't want, like the whole hedge. You know, didn't add the monsters and all that Which stuff. Which yeah. I would have really liked the to see that. Yeah. yeah. Originally, the Shining is actually legit. a ghost movie. It's a spirit and ghost movie. But the way Kubrick, is, the but, way, but the way yeah. Kubrick made it, kind of makes you feel that because of cabin fever, he kind of started mm -hmm. imagining these things. You know, but in reality, they were supposed to be ghosts, and it was really more of a ghost story. Mm -hmm. It wasn't cabin fever. It wasn't him going crazy. It was him seeing ghosts. Kubrick made it more subtle where it kind of leaves it up to us to decide was he seeing ghosts was it cabin fever was it whatever but mm -hmm. you know that's why Stephen King was a whole against the whole the whole thing from the beginning yeah. but the cool thing about this movie is we did get a lot of good visuals we had a lot of good scenes in it so uh, beer number two we're going down I got the uh, Castaway IPA from Kona Brewing Co Hawaii and uh, smooth yet spirited brew well actually we got the Kona Brewing Pack because yeah. I'm actually drinking uh Kua Bay, which I got the India Pell and uh, is there another one? Yeah, yeah there's, there's another there's one. There's a longboard, and there's a. I'm gonna try the longboard. Yeah, but it's still Kona. I mean, I was drinking this in Hawaii. I was over there drinking this. Oh, this is up. actually in Portland too. Is it? It says Mahalo for drinking responsibly. That's awesome. Mahalo. Mahalo. Mahalo to Kona Brewing for giving us this castaway. And if you think about it, castaway does kind of have to do with the shiny because he just like leaves every. He just casts away inside this hotel. And where's Wilson? Where? Yeah, Wilson! 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 And so what, what's the ABV on this? I'm looking at the ABV They, they right gotta now. be like 5.0. They can't be more than that. This is 6%. Oh, Castaways okay. is 6%. Mine is um 3%. Oh, 7.3%. Oh, shit. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, nice. I got 4.6 alcohol percent. And yeah. you got the longboard, right? Yeah. Yep. Which kind of makes up after drinking that uh, fly jack being a little soft. Yeah, man. So. This is going a little harder. And cheers, then, uh, guys. All right, cheers. cheers. Now, so now we get into our next segment, which is a uh, top two. Top two. So, so let's talk about our top two scenes. I mean, it's hard to narrow it down to top two scenes right. because there was so much. 
But the good thing is we'll narrow it down to two, so it gives us to talk about different uh, teams of what we I thought. hope it doesn't overlap. <laughs> right, so it I, might. I, yeah. I, I guess it uh, might, but it's okay. Well, well I, think, I think my top two scenes are really um, not your traditional top two because everyone, you know, the yeah. basic ones. But I, I, I think one of the things, because I'm a horror fan and I always like this, I think one of the things that I really liked was the fucking carpet. <laughs> I was really a big right. fan of that, that carpet in the movie. And, it, and it, that carpet by itself became like a, a thing, right? When you see it. became an icon. Yeah, you go, to the, you, go, you go to these horror stores and it's like pillows and you see jackets and shower curtains and they do iPhone cases and everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it was really cool and it kind of played the history because, you know, supposedly Stanley Kubrick, quote unquote, directed the moon landing. Yeah. Him saying it was we'll fake. We'll get into the fat theories. But he's that, talking yeah. about, he's talking about <laughs> how, if you look at the carpet, it's supposed to be kind of the shape of that moon landing. Hmm. Yeah. The, you know, so I, I like I that whole, That's that nice. scene of him showing the carpet or when Danny's running around on a big wheel and he's following the carpet around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, was pretty cool. Yeah, I want to say one thing that I just remember right now, just based on the inspiration of that movie, they also have that carpet in the first Toy Story movie. Yeah, I was, I was going to get to that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for ruining my fucking, fucking have that thanks shit. for ruining my fucking segment. Uh, uh, <laughs> did you guys hear about that part um, where they actually, you could tell on the scene where he gets the ball back. Right. They actually changed the carpet. Well, the, they switched yeah. the, the so way they did. This is the little out. way that uh, Stanley Kubrick was playing with. So originally, Stephen King was like kind of like a ghost house, kind of spooky, eerie looking house. Yeah. Stanley King was like, "Nah, fuck that." I mean, uh, Kubrick, like, I, I want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But he did a lot of little visuals. Like, for example, he'll shoot a scene where he'll put a chair, and the next scene, the chair's not there, but purposely. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of his way to kind of saying, "Shit's moving on its own around here," mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But you, you, it's very subtle, like the carpet changing locations, like different frames moving from different places where they were. He was doing things subtly, like still saying, well, it's still ghosts. It's moving around, but it's like my subtle way of saying it. I don't want to say it's a ghost a ghost story. Ma- you, you know? Maybe it's his own way of allowing co- uh, continuity errors, you know? What happens maybe. in movies. I mean, maybe, but I think <laughs> I think it's also a way of also to give, like I said, give that hotel its own character yeah, of right. things shifting around, things not being where you thought they were. Yeah, because of course location is character. But let's be honest, if we weren't really... We've seen the, we all have seen the movie a couple times where I've seen yeah. the movie many four or five times. But if if we didn't research it kind of how we did to do this, mm-hmm. a lot of these things we would have missed on. Like the regular person misses these things, doesn't yeah, catch yeah. on. There's a lot of stuff going on with this movie. The second scene that really, like I said, that really stuck with me, that really was really eerie and creepy, was those little the little girls at yeah. the end of the hallway. Like yeah. that scene right there with the little blue dress with the little plaited print, whatever the fucking thing is called. Uh-huh. That thing was really creepy. Like as a kid, I would always see that. And even as an adult, I'm like, whenever I see those two little girls, where I think of that, it gives me chills. It's like, cause that's, cause you, you know what you think of? That's something normal. That's not ghosts or whatever. You could literally go down a hallway, like to a casino or whatever. When you come on, come to your room drunk, walking four in the morning back to your room. Oh hell! And no. you see two little girls, you're like, well, what the fuck? And they're like, come play with me. You're like, oh fuck this! I'm not. That's that's <laughs> creepy as fuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, that, no, that's scary. That. You see, you see two young girls at the end of the hallway saying, "Come play with me." Anyone would be scared. Unless you're Jeffrey Epstein, but <laughs> and, <laughs> or Donald Trump. Any, yeah, anyone That's else would be like, "Whoa, this is fucking creepy. This is like, <laughs> this is this is literally a fucking out of a fucking horror movie, right?" Yeah. So th- those are the scenes that really stuck with me of that movie. That's I mean, funny that you kind of named those two scenes because those scenes are actually back to back. Like the scene where he's going yeah. with the big wheel, and right. then to me that's one big. Well, it led scene, up to yeah. that scene, right? Yeah. That little. But carpet. there's other instances of him triking through the hallway, and you know nothing really happens. But 
I mean, just the way they followed him, you know, they literally put a camera mount. Think about a little kid on a big wheel and how close that is to the floor. Yeah, they mounted something behind him, you know. The camera, you know, at the same basic, the same level as Danny. That must have been really well-maintained rigging. That's where they came up with the GoPro idea. Like, let me record myself. there you go, man. There you go. Yeah, those are those are those. Thanks a lot, Kubrick. Thank you. Gave us the GoPro. You gave us the GoPro. I guess. And yeah. Okay, so you got you got your yeah. Those are my two. Like I said, I mean, there's a lot to pick from because there's a lot of like, of course, a lot of popular scenes with that movie. But I didn't want to pick like the normal. I wanted to pick the stuff that really kind of spoke to me, that touched me in a way like, oh, like oh, this is fucking, you know. But what about you, man? What what are your scenes? I mean, my scenes definitely. I think. One of the most important scenes to me was when he's in the room alone writing. Because that was the whole point of him going out there, right? Him and his isolation. Him, him and his, his isolation. Him tapping away at the typewriter. Just typing away, typing away. And then Shelly Duvall's when Wendy comes in, you know. Oh, hey, are you busy? And he completely just blows up on her. And he's like, I'm fucking working. If you hear me typing, Checking I'm obviously away. fucking working. And then yeah. he just, and then he's like breaking her down mentally. You know what I'm saying? And you're just seeing this whole misogynistic portrayal of this movie, you know? But it's like that same grinding that's making him yell at Wendy's, him not getting alcohol. Him being in a hotel, him trying to work, right. him basically trying to progress. And in his hindsight, she's over his shoulder cowering, just right. breathing over his shoulder the whole time when she's really you, not. Why are you hovering me? Yeah, exactly. She's it was really just like not, a minute you know? where he was just checking on him. Which, which was, like which was okay. uh, to touch on that, which the cool yeah. part of the movie is the whole time she thought he was writing a book. All he did the whole time they were there, writes, all work, no play, make Jack a dull boy. He yeah. didn't even write nothing. Yeah. We thought he was writing a book and coming up with something. He literally was just writing, I'll work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. When you think of if, like, um, he was actually writing something, but he just didn't like it, and then eventually he came into madness, he just wrote that? Well, because no, when she saw, the, like, the stack of papers, the very first one, it all, the, she flipped them, they all said the same thing. All work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, but so that could have been, he, like, a couple of days ago. Well, he, well I mean, whatever, but we don't know. <laughs> but what it shows is, like, he just wanted to kind of get away and be on his own. Yeah. So he was up there just fucking typing away bullshit just so he could seem busy so he could be left alone again being in this isolation, being secluded, being alone. And that's what, at the end of the day, really drives him, you know, to the point of insanity with all or the hotel doing stuff Or it could have been like a writing exercise, but he just went on along and along and along. Because he tears up the paper when she comes up, yeah, in. He, he tears up the paper and throws it, and he gets angry at her, and I'm like, dude, like, you don't really see Jack Nicholson, you know, like, that angry in a lot of movies. Actually, right. yeah. You know what I'm saying? He gets angry in a lot of movies. The Departed. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean the Departed, but, get, but not, not but not in a psycho way like he right, is right. in the Shining. Yeah. Right, and then also he's well. young and his hair's wild, so he looks really like this. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like I'm writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to mention like before this, he was in um, Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is about mental. Oh illness. yeah, that was yeah. Cool. right, right. And he kind of looked cool. a little insane, and then in this yeah. one he goes full. Jack, I think Jack was the perfect. He looks yeah. already. He, I think it's his eyebrows that does yeah. it. Like he has those weird pointy eyebrows. So when he does yeah. that look, he's like even when he was he Batman, a, his crazy eyes. Like when he you was Batman, he does that. Yeah, yeah, the whole crazy eyes. Like, the he has crazy look. eyes. Yeah. You know, in the Joker, you know, with all that makeup on, his right. facial expressions are covered. But his eyebrows are like still 
his. Eyes and he's like, and ah. like crazy smile, you know. You know who has that same kind of weird, crazy face who can pull that stuff off like that? Is um, Pirates of the Caribbean fucking uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. He has that face where he can just pull off those weird facial expressions yeah. and just yeah. like, yeah. especially like on play, Pirates of the Caribbean. He can play weird. He can play weird. Yeah, he can yeah. play all kinds of stuff. So right. I mean, that, that's one of mine for sure, for sure, for sure. That's so definitely one second? of mine. <sighs> the blood. The blood, it's iconic, bro. That that took so much fucking production-wise. Like we explained earlier, that took so much work to pull that off three different times in okay. a row. Let me ask you this. Like, when it comes to the story and watching the movie, when you watch that blood scene, like, what does that even mean? You mean that rusty water, quote-unquote? It's... Quote-unquote. <laughs> what do you think it means? It's the... Okay, for me, it's this. There will be blood. The Good fact movie. that it was burial ground. Yeah. Right? The blood is in the land. The blood is there. But before you knew it was, because that was part of the trailer, right? Well, I guess we didn't. None of us watched the trailer because we weren't yeah. even fucking. No, born but they explained it to Jack. Yeah, you they know, before it he go, before he goes in there. So I think that was kind of a representation of. There's death here. There's death here. Yeah. Don't like get out. Like we don't like we don't want you here. And if you yeah. do, the blood will engulf you. Kind of ideology, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are basically my top two scenes, man. The gory and Jack Nicholson just being a complete dick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what about you, Serge? <laughs> okay. So my top two, uh, the first one I would have to say this time around is the scene when they first go into the maze. At first, like Wendy and um, Danny, they go into the maze and they're having fun, you know. And it's like before winter, like even the snow comes in, and you know they're they're just having fun. They're figuring out where to go, and they make it towards the end or towards the center, you know. So it's just like, oh, it's it's cool because like uh, by the end of the movie, like Jack eventually like goes into the maze to find Danny. It's snowed in, and he's going insane and stuff. And the only two people that are in there is like Danny, who obviously has already been in the maze, but. Also, this is um, Jack's first time going into the maze, and he eventually, you know, he doesn't find his way. He goes insane. So it's a little bit of a foreshadowing that like, tells you, like... His the, character. His character. Because uh, Danny went in there when he was sane, and he knew he, his way around. He even, like, psyched him out. Like, he even, like, retraced his steps back and, like, uh, fooled Try to Jack. to trick him, right? Try yeah, to... he fooled Jack and saying, like, oh, he's falling around, so I'm going to do this. And I'm pretty sure Tony told him to do that shit, you know? And, hmm. like, just like that, that first time going around after watching it multiple times, that maze really, like, spoke out to me, like, in a way that was like, oh, that's prominent foreshadowing. Well, like, you know that maze? They actually had to make a map of the maze for the cast. Yeah. Because that maze, <laughs> the maze was so huge and so so crazy. Yeah. They, the cast had to have a map for it. I'm not Because they got lost in it. I'm not Just think about the budget that. that went into, you know, <laughs> making that. You know, I thought, like, in the beginning, you know, that scene when it's going next to the mountain and everything, I thought that was a miniature. Yeah. At first, like Beetlejuice looking at the no, little. No, it was act. It was actually the miniature when Jack was like uh, looking over it. But then eventually it zooms in, and then it's you know they're in the actual real maze in it. That's like Beetlejuice. Yeah. I really looking at the yeah. little town, yeah. and it zooms in. And it's like an actual town. Yeah, under. it's an actual fucking set, like a yeah. giant set. You know, well not giant set, but a real set. And then there was a miniature of it. So yeah, that was my uh, first one. I mean, just the just the snow in that scene alone, I think, makes it even creepier. Do you know what the snow was? Yeah. No, what it was made what out was of? It? Yeah. So they had a couple hundred tons of um, potato like flakes. A, no, no. Like uh, packing peanuts. Packing peanuts? And they shredded it. They, it was shredded to make it look like uh, snow. 
So okay. I thought it was gonna be like artificial oh, snow, but it was like um, packing, and they huh. fine grinded it. It's very convincing to make it, yeah, to make it look like snow. So when you step on it, it still has that buoyancy like snow does. Because it's like, but I was like, but again, like you said, the budget, like the effort, they went the meticulousness of Stanley Kubrick to do this, you know, because anyone else would have did then fake snow or even shot it like in nowhere, something where it's always snowing. Okay, we make this scene there and bring it. They did like, oh fuck it, we're gonna get these packet peanuts, finally grind them, and it's gonna look like snow. I did not know that actually. That's yeah. fucking awesome. To make it look white, it's like, oh, that's crazy. Like, yeah, I, did, I did my I mean, the lighting off thought, of it and yeah. everything like yeah. that, you know that? Well, because it's that styrofoam, so it'll yeah. give you yeah. that lighting effect, you know? Holy yeah, shit. it looked. that's what made it look like snow. Right. Yeah, so... That's trippy. I did not know that. Yeah, so my second scene would be the gold room scene, which we talked about. What is like the gold room? It's, it's, a, it's a big ballroom it's slash bar. It's a big bar. ballroom that he goes into. It's when he's getting a drink, right? The first time, he goes in for a drink, and he's greeted by Lloyd, who's the bartender. Second time, he goes goes in there it's a full-on ballroom scene you know right and those between those two scenes i'm just like wow like it's just like it speaks a lot about like uh his level of like madness that's progressing over time you know right eventually he's just like this guy that's just like thirsty for like a drop of alcohol and here he is like pretending to able to have a drink and then eventually like he goes further into madness knowing that he's just like he can't he's not even drinking He's just going into madness. But you just touched on something clearly, what I was saying earlier, how yeah. you said it's his madness, right? Yeah. But originally, it's not his madness. Those are actual ghosts there. He's not He's not seeing them. They're really maybe there. It's, yeah, maybe it's so, a little so bit not, of both You exactly of hate what I said, where Stanley Kubrick made you feel that it's him going crazy, and he's seeing this. Like how Sergio said, how his madness kind of evolved progressed. or progressed, yeah, yeah. where it went from seeing one guy, so he made up a whole ballroom scene. Mm-hmm. But Stephen King was like, there wasn't no fucking, it's not, he, there really was those all those ghosts there. Yeah. So he walked into a room full of ghosts. Yeah. But, but that, that's, that's kind of cool you said yeah. that because it shows like the parallel from Stephen King to Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And Stanley Kubrick gives that whole, I think, the whole mindfuck where he lets you decide, is it ghost or yeah. is him going crazy? Also, it's up to you. Yeah. Also, another thought, like just between, like I mentioned before, like between Danny and like Jack having to see the ghost, like Danny could naturally like see it or feel right. it, you know? But it takes Jack going into madness to actually even see the freaking ghost right. at this point, you know? Or so maybe they didn't thing. want to show themselves to him. Maybe. At this dun, point, dun, he dun. was just like... <laughs> maybe they didn't want to show themselves to him until he started becoming mad. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're yeah, a little shy. They're a little shy. They're like, all right, get him a little bit more mad, and then we eventually will show ourselves to him. I love that scene, man. That's yeah. a good That's a scene. Good I mean, I just think it's so classy, the lighting and everything like that, how everybody's dressed. Uh, it looks really 1920s, 1930s. Yeah, it was 1920s. Like, there's flappers yeah. and everything. Yeah. And he's there all scruffy, like, I just want to fucking drink. Looking like a working man. I just yeah. want to drink. Yeah, you know. For sure, I was confirmed it was like 1920s because at the end of the film, there's that whole picture where where it's like everyone that was at the hotel at the night, uh, supposedly a special night, and then in the middle of it, it's Jack right in the middle, and it says 1927 or something, which tripped me the fuck out, and I was yeah. like, "What is going on here?" He's in the ghost. <laughs> so he went into the Shining. He like used the Shining to travel into. Time. I would say he went into the Shining. The Shining is the, the Shining, shining took him into yeah, the fucking. Him. But you know that 
20s. The movie really kicked off a lot of... Um, yeah. <laughs> the movie kicked off a lot of, like, lines that we know to this day, like that, red rum, red <laughs> rum. Like, that's the classic. Who doesn't know what red rum is? Yeah. Or like that, here's Johnny. Yeah. Like, those are those are iconic scenes. I mean, The lines. Simpsons redid it in Treehouse of Horror, you <laughs> know? <laughs> I mean, my, like, my He's Yeti... He's got my, the shining. Yeah. <laughs> my Yeti bottle has a red rum sticker on it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just down the stairs. <laughs> give me the bat, Mark. A lot give of the bat stuff came from. Give me the bat. Remember that? I mean, oh, that was fun. that was yeah, the shining, yeah, you know. Right. The shining kicked off, and like you said, uh, I well, think part, well, you talked about how well, like it came out of Ready Player One. Tell us about Ready, that. Man. Well, it came out of Ready Player One. Okay, so Ready Player One is basically about uh, in the future. There's nowhere to actually, you know, go and play at a park or anything because there's the world's overpopulated. Everyone goes into VR world. Isn't that almost now? Yeah, pretty much. We're getting there. So, I mean, it's basically predicting the future. For entertainment, everyone goes into VR, virtual reality, and they go into basically like a, what is like a GTA type game where you could go in there and basically do whatever you want. I mean, you it's could not race, just like you could fucking, Oh, so yeah. those characters, they're not really, they're just someone's VR? Yeah. Oh, they're, yeah. They're, they're, that's their they're avatars. Their avatars. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. See, that's why you gotta watch the movie, bro. Yeah, it's fucking will, sick. Watch yeah. that movie. So, check this out. So, basically, um, in the movie, they're looking for these Easter eggs in a video game. So they're traveling the memories of the creator of the Oasis and one of the hints that they lead to for their second clue is, I think it's their second clue, basically leads back to him trying to going out to watch a movie, The Shining, with uh, this girl that he really wanted to ask out but he ended up not asking her out and he messed up and he regrets it. So it's like basically the whole level is them going back to the movie theater where he was going to ask the girl out and it's a whole level in the game. So but they were looking for a key or something, right? Because remember he was looking yeah, at the Yeah, so they're book. looking for it. That's what they're looking for is like an Easter egg that they use oh, for the next okay, clue. Okay, okay. So it's like right? the key for yeah. the next... Oh. Yeah, yeah. So they recreate basically the whole layout. The whole set <laughs> of The Shining is recreated digitally. Well, that's pretty cool. And they redo it in a way that makes it look like it was shot... With the old school camera yeah. that Kubrick was using, like it has those light, like the light, you know that that uh, fuzziness the, the of the light. Still, right? Yeah, the, the it film. has the same quality of the film. Just, just so you guys know, I haven't seen Ready Player One yet, but Manny showed me a clip of of it and from the Ready Player One, and I was kind of impressed. Like, oh shit, yeah. they- it looks fucking sick. And that I'm telling you, that scene where the blood comes out of the elevator, like it transforms that whole scene. It makes it something much more, and it, yeah, it extends. You see the iconic scene, and the blood flows into the hallway. It's so much more blood work. Yeah, so much blood comes into it. But you imagine yeah. if they had to mop that up and do it three more times? Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. But I mean, to, for them to <laughs> probably the do that scene, that probably yeah. took them just as much time to do that scene. Right. Yeah. Than, than it took for them to actually, you know, clean up and but, yeah, but yeah, also like mentioning Reddit Player One when it comes to like, because it was directed by Spielberg, uh, Steven Spielberg, and he was a big fan of uh, Kubrick. And this time around when I was watching the movie, I realized something that uh, was very transparent with Jurassic Park because in The Shining, they locked Jack in the ice room, right? right? They also locked the raptor in the ice room too. Oh, so yeah. they like locked him in there. But not also that. Daddy actually hides and he hides in the kitchen cabinet. Just like the girl. Oh shit. Oh. Yeah. So this, this is the movie. Look at Serge tying stuff together. Movie. Okay. I, I realized What about this. the part where the raptor goes like this? Rat rum. Oh, <laughs> he did that. He went like. And opens the freaking right. door. And opens the fucking door. So yeah, that movie was also like adapted into a book and 
Spielberg made it his own, just like the way like uh, Kubrick made his own on The Shining. So you know, it's just like film being inspired by other films. I mean, just props to that uh, the whole team that worked on that because that shit looked exactly like yeah. you know, it looked exactly like the movie. It looked exactly like The Shining. It looked exactly like the set, the lighting, everything was on point. And for them to recreate that and actually play around with that with CGI, I thought was really freaking cool to see. Well, I had no idea about that until today, until yeah. you told me. You, like, gotta, oh, you gotta watch cool. that movie, bro, because yeah. there's more than just that The Shining scene, right? in there. It's all of 80s nostalgia that's in there. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Did they do Aliens? Because they Aliens. Yeah, they so, do. They do redo Aliens? Yes, dog. Oh, they have fuck. parts in there that actually refer to it. There's some Aliens in there. Aliens, yeah. aliens is like my 80s, like I have all the aliens, dolls, and fun they have, Yeah, and they have some like, uh, horror iconic people in there. They have Chucky in there for some reason. He's like, fuck, yeah. fuck Chucky. And then you have, Fred, you have Freddy in there. Freddy's like, cool. Michael Myers always Jason like... Jason too. Yeah, Michael Myers. I mean, it was, just a, it was just everything. But I mean, that just goes to show you how iconic this movie was is because it's been repeated in other people's art. And how technology is where they could just do all that, you know? Yeah, I, that's fucking well, amazing. Even, speaking of technology, even with the Kubrick doing like the scene where he's recording from the bottom and all that stuff. He really yeah, had he's, a... He's, yeah, he's, pen, he's thinking out the angles of what he wants to do. Right yeah, now. he was just thinking at the time, like, you know, he's being very innovative. You know, this conveys insanity. You're insane. So you were going to convey, like, a threatening menace, you know? Right. Alright, so uh, you guys want to get into the fan theories because this movie is... Fan, fan theories. This, this movie this kicked movie off a lot of theories, a lot of uh, conspiracies in a way. Yeah. I actually really can't chime in on this because I didn't know any of that. Well, so. I actually did a lot of research on this stuff and um, go ahead. <laughs> we'll, we'll, go with, we'll go with a couple that I... You know, I'll start with one that I thought was um, where they were saying how like the whole Stephen King was really, really trying to get into the Holocaust yeah. and he actually pitched the movie. He tried to pitch the scene to the theaters, to the like Academy Awards, whatever. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. At that time, Spielberg had just dropped um, Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, well, fuck it. I'm not going to do it now. But he incorporated it into this movie. This is the theory, right? Yeah. So, you know, the whole Holocaust, the major things happened like in 42. And uh, this movie, he incorporated a lot of that 1942 stuff so into it. So you're saying that this was a step up from like what could have been like a possible project for Kubrick? Right. He was kind of, this movie came out in the 80s. And no, but it was, was more like an ode to like the whole Holocaust thing. Okay. It wasn't really much a project, I guess, because he wasn't able to do it. But it's more yeah. like an old, like saying, "I'm gonna still throw this in there," you know. So what he did, it was, it was actually um, Jeffrey Cox wrote a book called Wolf at the Door, and he was talking about how Kubrick really was involved in, like, not involved in it because he had nothing to do with the Holocaust, but he's really into it. And he really had like a lot of foreshadowing how to incorporate. He really wanted to integ- integrate this into his films and stuff. Mm-hmm. He never got around to it. Yeah. But in The Shining, you know, when uh, Danny had his little sweater, it said 1942 on it, whatever. Yeah. And he. Like it's a real big thing to 1942. Like the color schemes was you know was really like a Nazi-ish where he had like red and white. Not that he was a Nazi sympathizer, but that was like the the prominent color. Yeah, I I realized the uh, color scheme on this. It has mostly like red and blue and white too. Right, right. You know, you know, and then it's so like even the bathroom scene too. was like red and white. Yeah. The orange carpet was really a lot of those bold, orange room. That, yeah, that, the bold and that stuff, you know. And also like the music was a lot of that music was Oregon and stuff that was really big yeah. in that era from that time. It really was really huge in there. And yeah, then, that's like a haunted mansion, dude. Right. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah very haunted. And then, it keeps bit, yeah. going more because Wendy, when she swung, the, we were talking earlier, when she swung the bat at Jack, mm-hmm. she swung that bat 42 times, you know, no, back to 1942. Yeah. 42. And then um, the, when they're, when Wendy and uh, Dan are watching the movie, they're watching the movie, which was both by the name of uh, Summer of 42. 
So then, and then also like the big thing that happened in 1942 was that the mass genocide where they, in Auschwitz, where they burned uh, a couple thousand, 20,000 Jews. So it, it tied in that whole 42. Yeah, it ain't a couple thousand, man. Yeah, That's it was, like yeah, tens so of thousands, it, it, it ties in that I whole that. 42. So, yeah. I mean, again, it's it, it could be a conspiracy. You know, not a conspiracy theory, but it could be like a, a, a Easter egg where people talk about, <laughs> mm. or it, it could not, you know? I mean, I feel like Kubrick might have been the director that he's like, yeah, let me put this like kind of little clues. So if I ever want to do this movie, I'll be like, you know, I, I was thinking about this movie a lot. And when I made the movie The Shining, I make direct references to 40, the year 42. Right. You guys yeah. let to me show my own movie, but yeah. I'm still incorporating this. Yeah, right? but I mean, like, if you ever wanted to, like, back up the fact that he was thinking about the movie, he could be like, well, if you watch The Shining, she swings the bat 42 times because I really wanted to do this movie that right. bad, you know? Right. Like, as a way to kind of prove, you know, that he was already thinking about this, you but know? When, shout out to Shannon Duvall for swinging that bat 5,337 times. Holy crap, bro. <laughs> Imagine how Should tired we? she was. Well, yeah, besides that and the I wonder what take or, they actually took. Like, what take they actually used. It, it, it was the fucked up part. It was the first one. He was just like, I just want you to keep doing it. <laughs> you did it right the first time. You did it right the first time. But I, I underestimated you. I just you, wanted to see how keep going, keep aggressive going. you wanted to be. Let's do, let's do it 126 more times and see if you get it right. Writer. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> Better. You got another surge. What's the other theory you got? Oh, there? the one that I wanted to like mention is the Apollo 11. That apparently this is a movie where he confesses that he states the moon landing. Yeah, they said he had like a, he helped shoot the moon landing. He says yeah. moon landing was fake and he helped shoot it. Yeah, he helped shoot it and then he's saying like, oh, this is pretty much the movie that confesses it. Um, some of the things that are very prominent, um, Danny's wearing like the Apollo 11 like uh, jacket. sweatshirt. Yeah, he was like a jacket. jacket. Yeah. You know, and very much like the design like we mentioned before. Red, white, and like blue. The, the launch design of like the uh, space launch, you know? Right. And Well, the, the carpet, it has like yeah. the design of the space yeah. launch. And it looks to, like that. Yeah, not to mention the number uh, uh, 237 which originally is supposed to be like 217 which is like the room that's what Stephen King, King wrote, King yeah. wrote but, he, but Kubrick said it's 237 he changed it to that and then apparently like the mass be, the distance between like the earth and the moon is like 237,000 miles miles right you know so he was pretty much kind of saying how the fuck did we travel that at this time, you know? Yeah. 237,000 miles. So he really incorporated that in there, you know, trying to make it seem like, pretty much saying, hey, this is fucking, yeah, I acted yeah. in it, I fucking helped in it. But yeah. but again, uh, his daughter, and like in that whole, because they brought it up in that movie, there's a documentary they made about Stanley Kubrick and The Shining. It's called Room 237. And his daughter was saying, no, my dad would never take part in something like that. Obviously, that's what you would do if you were involved in something like that. Yeah, you're like not going to you write your, whole, your dad out like right. that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that I mean, was, I think that's, that's also, just to touch a little bit on that, I I think that's another reason it became a cult classic because they did so much documenting while the movie was being filmed. Yeah. You know, because you you weren't really able to see that until the 80s and, and, and maybe the 60s, you know, like is when they really started filming. And maybe the 50s, you know, fuck. Fucking Walt Disney used to actually film himself behind the scenes filming stuff, you know, so. But yeah. I mean, Kubrick doing it for his own filming and having, giving his daughter the rights and to basically give her the rights to like put me up on screen Everybody was able to actually see in that uh, documentary 237, room yeah. two, uh, 237, that Kubrick was being a dick to right. Shelley Duvall and, you know, how he was looking at Jack, how he was looking at Jack and treating Jack Nicholson compared to Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Well, I just, I just wanted to touch real quick off subject, how you mentioned Walt Disney. I just found out, you know what Walt Disney was actually, uh, quote unquote, a Jew? I mean, a fucking um, 
Nazi? He was a. Uh, he was also Mason. Yeah, he was. Which he was, I didn't he, fucking know. His best friend was Warren von Braun, who was the leader of NASA. NASA, who yeah, came from fucking Nazi Germany. Yeah. But I also learned another, a, another I, podcast. Yeah, I also learned a lot of things about NASA this For, week. Foreshadowing, conspiracy theories part two. Foreshadowing. But uh, yeah, yeah. An- another one that actually was a big conspiracy theory or like a fan theory was because um, Kubrick was really big on like the whole like Native Americans and how they were fucked, and he yeah. wrote some stuff on it, how saying like how the U.S. just fucked him over and never cared about it. So um, a couple of things he did was like, for example, he named the hotel the Overlook. Yeah. Pretty much saying how we as Americans overlook the whole like Indian genocide, how we overlook the history of the Native Americans. And then uh, if, in the movie, he, he posts, if you look at the movie, there's a lot of posters and and uh, paintings of Native Americans, chiefs and stuff. It's kind of hidden in there, like little Easter eggs yeah. all around. Yeah, but opposite of hidden, they also mention that during the tour. They right, say, like, that, that's this, Indian burial ground. Yeah, we used to, yeah, that we just did a construction over our Indian burial ground. That's right, what they and said. They, so they really Straight talk out. about that. And then especially like on the documentary, that Room 237, they mentioned how he brings up a lot of like, he was really like a sympathizer for the Native Americans that he felt like he threw in all those little things in there, like saying like, you guys are fucked up. You guys fucked over these Native Americans and he doesn't even care. Yeah. You know, because he was a real, you know. Gentrification right. nation. But it's all those things he threw in there, like 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 uh, Sergio said, like the whole Apollo launch, the genocide of not I mean, fucking Nazis of Jews, and this whole like Indian genocide. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he didn't mean none of that. He just fucking, it was just all coincidental. Yeah. But, you know, people kind of nitpick and really just yeah. started studying and found a lot of a lot of links and put two and two together. Like, whoa, this looks like it could really be, it means this, it means that, or it could mean that. and Or maybe he meant it all. He just said, Hey, this is all my my beliefs. I'm just gonna throw it in this film. Yeah, it's just to fuck around with you. If you guys catch it, like, good for you. You know. I mean, like, he really did. That. I mean, that was his whole point. I think with this movie, he was really trying to fuck with people's heads. Yeah, and he did it. Yeah, he yeah, he, he did, did it. Well, yeah. 40 years later, yeah. we're doing a podcast on it. We're so. doing a podcast. People still. I mean, that's about why it. we're doing this podcast. It's the 40th year anniversary. For 40th it. anniversary, yeah. So oh, 40 that's, crazy. that's good. So crazy. It's older than. But you know, now, now that we're, we're talking about like Stanley Kubrick, like yeah, let's talk about our Kubrick films. Like what top two, top two, top two. Kubrick films? Kubrick, Kubrick films. films. It can't be The Shining. Oh, shit, I'm out of here. No, okay. <laughs> Let's do, um, I mean, my top two. I'll start with my top two. I think one of my favorite Kubrick films was A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. You know, I, I think the whole, them wearing the little uniform they wore, the little wardrobe they wore, the droogs, and doing the things. And a lot of scenes in that movie was really, like, remember the scene where he has his eyes taped, and he's watching the film, and it's like, oh, shit, that's fucking crazy, you know? He's, he's going through Europe. I mean, he's English or whatever and he's seen all these people and the guys that talk funny yeah you want to do this yes he has the rich parents who do this and he's like a rebel I, I don't know I thought that movie was really cool and then one of my one of my favorite bands the Addicts yeah. they really take up from A Clockwork Orange they dress they like take that take inspiration right and yeah. they, you know, they call themselves droogs yeah. and even their like logo is like from the Clockwork Orange <laughs> so I thought that was really cool I think yeah. Clockwork Orange is really a really cool movie real ahead of its time yeah I mean you know, it's very disturbing it just says a lot about like what it says towards the beginning and towards the end you know like reform like what 
like you really get into like that issue of reform you know like could you actually like, fix someone or someone is just like like that by nature you know right and that, that's a whole other like yeah. is it nature or nurture that's a whole different exactly. you know thing we got to get into but that, that was a real cool movie Clockwork Orange mm. I think that's probably my favorite no it is my favorite Kubrick film because I could watch it all the time and I enjoy I mean it was pretty thing. violent for its time too right yeah. exactly I was going to say it was really, it was really violent and it was just a cool movie sees like yeah. local kids doing their thing you know walking the street beating shit out of people with their fucking, fucking with their fucking with their batons or walking yeah. sticks heard, or canes whatever they were yeah. I heard a story where like um, you know how he's singing that iconic song that I'm singing in the rain uh-huh. and it was actually a movie like in the 40s yeah. when the main um, the main actor that actually did that he met the actor that actually sang like singing in the rain and when he first met him he didn't even want to talk to him he's all like dude you disgrace that fucking song because you fucking signed that song as you were committing violent. rape yeah, yeah. he fucking me violent it was just like wow like oh you just disgrace that name but that was all in the sake of like, like being artistic you know? what about that guy with the fucking big old dick remember he had, like, <laughs> that little dick statue you know <laughs> there's a lot of weird things going on I think that was, must have been one of my first um, I think uh, it's your favorite movies. scene <laughs> no no it was one of my uh, first Kubrick like movies that I seen because uh-huh. I think my sister introduced me to that movie I mean it was like weird I think Kubrick just in general he really likes to put on screen the shit you don't want to think about yeah rape you know uh, violence they're just very, violence they're just very bold ghosts things. people taking over gentrifying land you know mm-hmm. women misogynistic with women yeah you know? misogyny with women just like all of those different things and I, I think uh, for me it'd be full metal jacket you know uh, just the way he portrays the different cadets the different as he's growing up as Joker's growing up in the army you know um, and he sees Gomer Pyle Sergeant Pyle Sa- Sergeant Pyle five six I didn't know they stuck shit that high you know stuff like that that's another movie that has like good movie. lines like, we, like where are you from Texas only queers and steers come I from actually, Texas I actually didn't know that shout out to my boy Ian for filming in on this information he was a real drill sergeant was he really yeah I, I, oh, I can believe cool. it he looked he was like a real it. drill Sergeant, you could see his, like got... you could see when he's yelling and talking shit. You can see the veins in his neck as forward yeah, popping up. He's just like, oh my god, fuck his start popping shit that high. Like <laughs> damn, like your vocal cords must hurt. I mean, I mean, yeah, and, and in that movie, he touched on PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He touched on just America going over to different nations yeah. and basically the army going over to different nations and taking advantage. You know, like uh, me love you long time. Like yeah. that whole. Scene. Yeah, and right. then like how the black guy just like goes I go first you know yeah. like that kind of shit like dude you don't see that kind of stuff in normal movies singing in the rain you yeah. know like 1930s yeah. that was like all theater nice and laddie die you know yeah, what I'm saying to, yeah not to mention like that movie what really got to me is like the morality of war really because like they were going through hell especially during that whole sniper scene they were trying to get at the sniper you think it's like a man behind it like a right. like a fucking war experience like person that knows what they're doing but at the end of it it's like a little girl fucking girl right there you know yeah. and he's just like dude like what the f- like what, what like what are we doing what are we doing like killing this little girl what about that soap that scene so though that soap funny. scene was fucking intense right <laughs> when they fucking put the soap in the pillowcases and beat the fuck out of him remember dude, that was and they so held fucked him down with a, bit, with yeah. a fucking dude uh, honestly the, the scene that got me was that the PTSD scene when he's like when he shoots himself and he shoots the sergeant and yeah. like it, it was this just is a my rifle this is hard. my gun this is, this is for war and this is for fun <laughs> right. 
fucking a, dude. Yeah, and to put that like in the first thirty minutes or some in the movie, it's just saying. So I mean, much. you're you're saying a lot. You're speaking about the government. Yeah. You're speaking about the world policies. You're speaking about PTSD. You're oh, speaking about self-esteem. Uh, all these personal issues. Uh, even I mean, uh, sex trafficking. Yeah, like, sex you're, trafficking. You're already having. You already you know? had like the first casualty. You haven't even gone overseas. You know, you already seeing like the first kill. It's like oh, one of the cadets like one of their went own. Mad. One of their own went mad mm-hmm. and before they even went to soldier. war. Right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like putting everyone in this mind state like, that fuck is just so, fucked. That goes to show you again how Kubrick can kind of get yeah. into all those little fucking angles. And most people watch the movies and don't really break it down and think about it. Once you really sit and think about that's the movies, so like there's a lot of stuff going on there. You know, yeah. a lot of stuff behind these movies, behind the scenes. I a mean, lot of messages being said. Yeah, the fact that he was a real drill sergeant is just like fine. That's but I think he had to get a real drill sergeant to get that energy. Yeah, he had to get it. Yeah, I mean, he was doing the same thing to those cadets that were actors, the same way he was treating Shelley Duvall to swing the bat. 5,000 right. plus times. Right, he was doing their job, his job. You know what I'm that. saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's like, what's that fucking... He's um, lucky he found that Gomer Pyle guy to do the, uh, be the drill sergeant so he didn't have to be the drill like, sergeant. He's, he's swinging the bat, he's busting at M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> right. Swing away. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what's, yeah. what's, what's your Kubrick movie? All right, so my Kubrick movie, um, it's going to go either way. Lolita. I'm kidding. Oh, Lolita. Uh, no. <laughs> it's not Lolita. It's actually 2001. Space, Space Odyssey. Odyssey. The one movie that, that makes Kubrick like an icon because it just like speaks a lot, especially today when it comes to technology. I'm going to say this one thing that I learned based on this film. And it's just... So there's a there's a scene where it's like at the beginning, you see like a bunch of like prominents, like uh, primates. And, you know, they're having like a little war against each other they're using like bones the first technology the first weapon they're using and one of them just like raises the bone over and it's in the midair and then the next thing you cuts to it's a little space station shaped exactly like that and that itself taught me like this is what film could do like it could teach you technique it could like teach you cut, language it could teach you the things that it's trying to say like storytelling from bone to a space station but that's because you do film because I never I never thought about that when I yeah. saw it I'm, I'm, like, oh. I'm more more like uh, I have more uh, of uh, aesthetic. Chops you know. it up and cooks yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. He's making chili with it. It's just yeah. like that's how I think. Like when it comes to aesthetic, it's just like oh, I, don't I mean that. Know, that but Serge is our but, cinema you know, guy. But to, so to really touch on that though, that's what makes. Kubrick's film so iconic is the fact that he uses imagery yeah. and he uses the imagery to tell a story from there's no time there's no time in between you know yeah. he's basically you're from Neanderthal to exactly. future there's yeah, transparent exactly. and, and the same thing for fucking The Shining right you're transported to the 1920s in an instant in a blink and back to the but 80s but they're telling a background story between like what he's experiencing during the 80s and then back yeah. going into the 20s but it's almost it's like, like a, a time story. machine because yeah. Yeah. you don't know about the toys until he goes into the gold room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's kind of like he's like steps to a time machine, and the music, the way the bartender's dressed, yeah. even the drink you ordered, like the way the, the music yeah, is playing. But around. Yeah, but aside from that timing, like that movie just speaks a lot about like what humanity has done so far when it comes to like using a bone as a weapon to like using spaceships to like further themselves to go further into I mean, space. But also, just to point, you're right. You're totally right. And it gets yeah. And you're, also, you're totally right. Okay, go ahead. Just let me say like. 
Also, sound has to do a lot with it, too, because if you think about that scene in uh, Full Metal Jacket, when they play, when the helicopter's going over, yeah. and they play the record. That's Apocalypse now. Oh, fuck, yeah. it is that's Apocalypse. apocalypse you know what they play? The bird. The bird, bird, bird. The bird is the bird. That's right. That's they right. That, yeah, they right. play that fucking song in that fucking movie, bro. Anyways, like, yeah, this movie just, like, speaks a lot because it just talks about, like, humanity and then having to rely on technology because they have some very innovative like things that they do especially when like he's walking along like the the space station and they actually build a whole set where they are fucking rotating the whole thing and you kind of see similar things like in today's movies like Inception mm-hmm. they straight out like had that inspiration from 2001 A Space Odyssey to uh, integrate it to like um, into Inception which they you know they fucking move the whole set like a revolving way. set right Right? Yeah, it's a revolving set the same way that they did in 2001 Space Odyssey, you know? <laughs> like, they had found ways to make things very innovative. And that was even... And, and then was that, 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 that like, imagery even like crossed over to HBO with um, Euphoria. They did they did the same thing. They yeah. built the house and... Yeah, it's just in. like... It just, like this, Kubrick just makes ways to, like, move the camera in an interesting way and in a very innovative way that conveys, like, what he's trying to say, you know? <laughs> and he uses the length of the whatever object he's looking at he looks at it if it's close or if it's far away like when he transitions to far away it that's when he's really making a statement yeah for example the two little girls right because you're following close you're following close you're following close then all it pulls of a sudden out, then it pulls, pulls out. out yeah and then you see the little girls you know right. that yeah. like that that playing around with the foreground and the background and what you're putting into focus what you're putting into context is also further explaining the story it also, like, it also gets to that, that whole the mess even with the feels like you said if the girls would have been that close to you it wouldn't have that same feeling yeah you know but it has that whole at the distance because you're like well fuck what i do, yeah. I walk well, the genius. do i run like what, what, yeah you know? that's the genius of kubrick like yeah. he has to fuck right your way. psyche gets you yeah that, he you has know? the right way of shooting things and you know like you have so many options and uh, like many like young filmmakers don't even think about the way that they shoot they just say like oh i want to make this shot look cool but what are you actually conveying? There's a lot right. of context. What message, what feelings are you put out? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Now that we've been watching like Kubrick and kind of getting how he he's very like no holds bar, he's very out of the box. Yeah. He kind of does what he wants, throws things in there. No, oh, he's a maniac. I, I really feel a lot, a lot of it like relates to a lot of like Tarantino style of film. Like, yeah. he kind of just does what the fuck he's going to do. And I mean, yeah. If you like it, you like it. If don't, then don't watch their movies. I mean, yeah, that's the whole point of being like having aesthetics. Like, you have your own like. You have your platform. Of, you have your own. You have your, your platform. Own, yeah. You have a way of thinking. You have a way of conveying things and that's just what makes a, a filmmaker you know like in a tour that's like the word for like oh your artist aesthetics you know right. like everyone every director kind of has one you know right and it's just like they have their own style but yeah like Kubrick is uh, monumental he's a genius genius for this he's able to like um, make make people talk about their films for like days you know for us I mean for years man 40 years besides Stephen King he hated because Stephen King legitimately hated The Shining he said it was the worst it didn't depict what he wanted he was against it but that film is still like a cult classic besides it not being what Stephen King wanted you know because 
because of Kubrick's geniusness, he made it. He It wasn't Stephen King's per se, like the whole thing. He took bits of it and he remade it himself, but it still turned out to be a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just it and sounds like the whole, genius. the whole basis of Stephen King's writing, though, really gave Kubrick a platform and, you know, like... Oh, yeah, he said the template I, for I him. mean, how, how many yeah. other films, you know, did Kubrick use writers instead of... Did he ever write the movies himself? Like, which ones did he write himself? Some of them he write himself. Well, he, he, I don't know if he wrote himself, but he kind of, like, he played with himself. it and nitpicked and to put what he wanted yeah. when he did it. He was know? probably interested in The Shining when he read it, but right. he said, like... <laughs> I like this idea, but I just don't like what what's going on with the story. But still, cheers to Stephen King because he's but the yeah. fucking he's the Stephen master King of horror. Is killing it, like it, like he's just like doing his own thing, really. And then yeah, but no more one no one touches it. Stephen King on writing like yeah. It, it, fucking Castle Rock, Cujo, The Shining, Doctor Sleep, fucking Doctor Sleep, yeah, which is um the uh, what did we write um Pet Cemetery, yeah. uh, the whole fucking the, the Dark Tower series. Like Stephen King, literally fucking, he does no wrong when it comes yeah. to this book. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I actually like read some of his books. They were pretty good and very engaging. I would recommend any of them. He's not a horror icon for no reason. He is the the he fucking is horror, the horror writer. <laughs> Next to Stephen King. The one that's doing anything like that would probably be maybe Anne Rice I and mean, that's more vampire-ish yeah Dean Koontz did some cool stuff with um, The Prodigal Son where he made like Frankenstein like the antagonist instead of the protagonist that was the kind of cool thing he did but there's not really yeah. no one touching horror like Stephen King yeah it's just that he makes it his own and then he puts a lot of symbolism into real it. quick tidbit we've been pronouncing his name wrong the whole time who Kubrick Kubrick it's not pronounced Kubrick what? it's pronounced Kubrick Kubrick Kubrick. It's pronounced Kubrick. I'm going to say Kubrick from now on. I'm sorry. So Stanley yeah. Kubrick. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. So, so Stanley Kubrick is pretty cool guy. He was born in New York, uh, July 1928. He started off as a commercial July 26, 19. He started off as a commercial photographer, um, what he did on the side. He used to play chess just for fun, and he does math just like for fun. Oh shit! Like very complicated. Yeah, he's a fucking well, psychopath. I play chess for fun because I like I like yeah. playing chess. Yeah, but to do math for fun, bro, no, this guy's I, I, a psychopath. When it only comes to money, I can count. I but other than that. that <laughs> <laughs> so so now we're in the to our conclusion coming to our conclusion coming to our conclusion um, what's your final thought on the movie no this movie sucked dude yeah this movie totally <laughs> fucking sucks I mean I think this movie is uh, Manny what do you think about the movie like uh, the movie fucking will, sucks the movie <laughs> <laughs> Nah. I think 40 years from now, people will still talk about this movie. Well, it's 40 years, been 40 years now. Exactly. And We're I think 40 years from it. now, people will still talk about it. I mean, Kubrick in general is just a sought-after director because, well, I mean, he's dead. He's not. He's sought-after in his thinking, the way he went about making his and movies. And his cinematography, the way his he His cinematography, did. you know, how he used technology to captivate people's imaginations in his movie, to, to transport them between times. You know, I mean, that's something that people cannot, you can't shake from these movies. And it's a staple in time, you know. Right, it's a, it's a time capsule. You know, what's funny today on my way from um, back home from work. I was listening to like ZZ Top, the song Legs. Mm-hmm. And that song was done like in the early 70s. And you think like that's like a time capsule. Like no matter a lot of these new artists, whatever that comes out, people won't hear them for 
five, six years from now. But certain songs, certain like cinematography, certain pieces are like a time capsule. Yeah. You you could touch back that time and you still rock out, you know, or still watch these movies and stuff. Like, that's the shit right there. Yeah. And you show it to your friends and like how we're getting older, you show it to your kids or to like, did you ever see The Shining? What? You got to watch it, you know? And it's those things like where encapsulate a piece of time, a piece of cinema history, just the whole, you know, every everything that be, that's done afterward from Kubrick that seems to it. Oh, that's, that's very Kubrickish, you know? They, yeah. they I mean, it, and, and yeah, you're very right. It's it's like a oral tradition almost, like right, it's passed right. down, you know? But it's like the a folklore. Cool, like but a folklore the coolest thing tale. is not only is it passed down, it's like passed down in aspects of like uh, Serge talked about earlier, how they did that Space Odyssey scene with the revolving set, right. you know? I mean, Inception used that and think about what people have to say about Inception. Right. You know what I'm saying? That become its, it became its own but standing movie. But you think of movie, people that watched you know? Inception being like 18 years old who never been introduced or don't even know who Stanley Kubrick or is. Or exposed to it. Or exposed even. to it. So they're in the sense like they don't really touch back to it. It takes yeah. an older person like, oh, that's very Kubrick-ish or very, you know, whatever. This movie was made in the 80s. And yeah. think about how many iconic movies. Early 80s. So it's early. like, no, like it was, 70s, uh, early 80s. Exactly yeah. 80s. Yeah. Exactly 1980s. So this was the beginning of the decade. This is what set the bar right for next horror. To Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Right. So this that really set exactly. the bar for filmmakers, for people in the industry of, wow, look at this. He did it with this kind right. of budget. Imagine before, if we had... Before Kubrick, you didn't have like... This is before the slashers, right? So you had stuff like House of Wax and... There was slashers that before. Actually, yeah, yeah but it was... It wasn't. They weren't. They didn't hit no, that big. No, it was big. the beginning of the slash. It was the beginning, but they didn't really yeah. hit that big till like. Um Freddy Krueger and like Michael Myers you know before that you did have certain slashers but when it came to 80s he was one of the first pioneers of this whole psychological stuff you know because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. before that you had stuff like um, Vint- Vincent Price yeah or what's the, the other guy fucking um, um, Edgar Allan Poe Alfred Alfred, Alfred, um, Alfred Hitchcock Alfred Hitchcock like yeah. the birds Hitchcock, and those yeah. type of movies and those were in its own right you those know, were also psychological psychological movies they didn't have yeah. that, the, you know the cinematography the or the theory yeah. I mean oh like, there was cinematography I'm pretty the sure. Science to you know, but it. that's the thing is, I'm pretty sure Kubrick really George looked at Romero, Alfred. George Romero. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think Kubrick really looked at Hitchcock's Kubrick. work. Kubrick <laughs> looked at Hitchcock's work mm-hmm. because if you think about it, Hitchcock did the same thing with his aunt, uh, his actors too. Yeah, he did. He drove them to psychological states. Yeah. Right. Of fucking, you madness. know, he insanity. Drove them you yeah. know, and with Janet Lane, you know, Kubrick now is a Adopting that same uh, process of filmmaking, but making it his own and doing something that's also psychological, but also image imagery wise. He like he got from Alfred and then someone like say they just say Tarantino got from him. Yeah. And now like Jordan Peele can get from him. Yeah. It's just an ongoing like a pay it forward type of thing. Everyone takes a little bit from someone else. Yeah. We, everyone has different different idols or different people they idolize, different people they they appreciate or embrace their style. Yeah. yeah. You know, so then you know, maybe twenty years from now someone's gonna take surgery style of making movies, you know, and they're gonna run with it, you know, mm-hmm. and it just kinda it leads the whole it, it's a revolving door. It's, it keeps going and going and going, leading forward to it. You know, and I think that's pretty cool. Like it's an ode to the classics because I mean the styles they make. I mean whoever made like say uh, who who did uh, Inception? Christopher Nolan. Was it Christopher Nolan? Yeah, yeah. Christopher Nolan did that. Okay. We're gonna talk about that. And too. so mm-hmm. he so like for example, he didn't say it but I'm sure in his own mind, he's like, this is fucking Kubrick, Kubrick style, you know? Yeah. And that, that's kind of cool, you know? It just kind of, it shows you how, even though the name's not mentioned, but the style 
what you took from it lives on forever. You know, it's yeah. kind of it gets encapsulated for. Yeah, it's, time. it's really its own genre of filmmaking, and uh, you know, I think that that is what that is what made the movie timeless. Fuck the script, fuck the actors, fuck everything that happened. It's the style in which he made the movie. Fuck it, I'll refilm it. Two weeks from now, the blood scene, it'll be ready, done. Well, you know? it's funny because... Fuck it, I'll have her swing the bat 5,000 well, times. Well, the funny thing yeah, is, though, our favorite thing. scenes weren't even dialogue. It wasn't like, here's Johnny. It was more like the visuals, right? Yeah. Because like to me, it was like the whole carpet and little girls. That's a good point. There was point. really no yeah. dialogue there. Oh. Yours yours was the whole him typing him in his solitude. Really was no dialogue there. Yours yeah. was also the whole the hedge scene in the in the maze. Yeah. Not too much dialogue there. It's it's the, the whole, whole visual. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's imagery. But it's the whole imagery. Yeah. The whole How many scenery. doors did you say they went through for that? 60, 60 doors. 60 and doors. And the thing was also because uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson at that time was like um, a relief or like a backup firefighter. Mm-hmm. So he had he had experience. Yeah, he had acts. training for that. Yeah. So oh, he shit. was just fucking mowing through those doors like whack. And then I'll chill, chill, chill. Don't break it too hard. It had to be just enough where he could fit his face in yeah so yeah what about you you guys you guys think about it um yeah my final thought on the matter is just like um this is just like one of kubrick's like very shining um no pun intended <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> no pun intended shining example of what made the man what he is the man and the myth really, the legend yes the legend putting everything his thoughts his whole aesthetic his whole fucking thoughts on the matter and he really made something that's very unique and whatever you say about it it's just like you know this he is a against, different type of he went film. against whatever Stephen King said like no, I'm gonna exactly. do it my way and so it's still it takes, successful yeah so it's just like you know he took one idea and make it his own and, and he ran like, with it and he ran with it and he's yeah. just like say what you will but like the and man it made still something, was successful he made something unique and and this is what made him. And this is definitely a recommended movie that I would I would watch. And if you haven't watched it, go ahead and watch it. If you've been fucking hearing this and just hearing us talk about it, like I hope this inspires you to like. And if you're watch a, the if movie. you're a shining fan, hopefully you agree with us. And yeah, hopefully you agree with. I mean, us even if you don't, justice, you know, justice. If yeah. you don't agree with us, or if you have some cool points to make, you if know, you don't agree with it. Well, uh, fuck you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you don't agree with it, or what? If you do. Just reach us out at goldencraftrun at gmail.com or uh, through email. Or DM us through IG at goldencraftrun. That is our homestead for Goldencraft Cast. We're thinking about maybe making a Goldencraft IG, but maybe. we're not sure yet. Uh, we want to really see how people are responding to it. So, uh, yeah, give us a shout out, goldencraftrun on IG. Uh, you're sitting here with uh, Bird. Yo. Manny. Yo. <laughs> I do oh, okay. myself. And Surge, you know, I, Surge. I do it I'm myself. my own man. Okay, he's his I own man. It. I'm my own man. I make my own thing. I don't give a <laughs> fuck. I'm <laughs> fucking Kubrick about it. I was gonna say, come down, Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, Kubrick. So uh, the next couple of weeks, we're gonna have something in store for you. We want to do something really musically inclined. So uh, look forward to that. Against my own liking, because you know I love the cinema, but we're doing. Um, music. If anybody has some new beers or <laughs> cool beers, you guys uh, think we should try go ahead and dm us let us know and we'll be glad to try them out if we can get a, our hands on them yeah so that concludes our episode so see you on the next one to the craft to the craft also the craft. black life matters guys black life black matters, life matters. Cheers, guys. support man support baby there you go Woo! red rum red rum red rum red rum red rum red rum, red rum.